0: Thank you. Hello everyone, this is 30 Day Trek, I'm your host Lucanan and today we are looking at the animated series episode, The Magics of Megas 2. This is the episode where, upon journeying to the center of the known galaxy, and unrelated to the Great Barrier from Star Trek V apparently, to find the creation point of the Big Bang, the Enterprise is caught in a matter-energy whirlwind and thrown into an alternate universe where magic is real and encounter Lucian, a half-man, half-goat being with horns on his head. Yes, you heard me right. In this episode, the Enterprise encounters the devil. And as it turns out, He's not such a bad guy after all. He is one of the Megans, who are a race of beings who centuries ago visited Earth in hopes of finding others like them. But when met with hatred and fear and eventually driven out, they return to the planet Magus Two and puts the crew of the Enterprise on trial as well as Lucian for bringing them here. This results in a literal witch trial at Salem, Massachusetts, with the crew in stocks and Spock acting as the defense lawyer. Lucian, you alone, of all those here, do not seem to fear or hate humans. Why? They are like me, with questions to be answered, with minds that range outward, boundless. But every Megan is always alone in his sphere of knowledge. Humans are always together. They share. That is why I adopted your ship when I saw it arrive. Thank you, Lucian. Next witness, please. Captain James T. Kirk. (coughs) Tell the court, please, Captain Kirk. Would you say that since Salem, humans have changed? I think we've been trying to, Spock. Humans have their faults, greed, envy, panicky fear. But in the centuries since the Salem witch trials we have learned, we try to understand and respect all life forms. Indeed, Captain. Could you elaborate? The records of the Enterprise are open for your inspection. All the history of Earth and the Federation is at your disposal. Look. Look at General Order Number 1. No starship may interfere with the normal development of any alien life or society. Compare that with the Earth you once knew. And after Lucian is sent to limbo and Kirk doing some magic of his own, the Enterprise is sent back to their own universe, and we get our usual Kirk-Spock-McCoy wrap-up and pondering. All systems go, Captain. We're back to normal. No more magic for us, Jim. It's all back there. You think Lucian really was the demon some men call Lucifer? Does it really matter, Bones? It just might, Captain. If he was, this would be the second time Lucifer was cast out. And thanks to you, the first time he was saved. Unlike Yesteryear, I don't have much to talk about with this episode. This is another Enterprise Encounters a godlike Being plot that Gene loved doing, but always had to do a write-around in that the network censors would never allow him to be flat-out atheist. But even with the capitulation of it being the devil, it's still pretty radical for a 70s Saturday morning cartoon to say to the kids... Hey, the devil's not such a bad guy after all. And the image of Spock drawing a pentagram on the floor of the Enterprise is one of the more goofy and surreal images in all of Star Trek, along with the image of all of them in literal stocks and on trial at Salem. Also, it's funny how when Kirk says to look at the records of human history on the Enterprise, we get a shower of tapes, computer cards, and microfilm reels. While Trek has always been an inspiration for future technology, it's always cute to see how sometimes they completely miss the mark. One last thing I'd like to say is that now that Lower Decks has been bringing back and incorporating elements of the animated series, I would love to see a return of Lucian, or just a satyr-like character done in the titmouse design style. As for the various godlike beings that the Enterprise encountered over the course of TOS and in this series... As mentioned in the Squire of Gothos episode, Trelane is my favorite of the bunch. What I liked about him was how he was able to walk the fine line between funny and threatening. You got a sense of danger and intimidation about him, and yet he was a joy to watch. And if he actually had some maturity about him, he could be someone who you would actually want to hang out with. It makes sense why he served as the template for Q when Gene came up with him for the pilot for The Next Generation, which by that time had simplified and condensed all the godlike beings into one person which helps since apparently the galaxy was lousy with them as seen in both who mourns for adonis and plato's stepchildren in tos and then in a later tas episode how sharper than a serpent's tooth which is another episode of the animated series that i may cover should i decide to do this podcast again In regards to the previously mentioned TOS episodes, Who Mourns for Adonis and Plato's Stepchildren, with the former, outside of the image of a giant green hand pinching the Enterprise in outer space, and Adonis growing giant in size and Chekhov hitting on the yeoman who joins them on the mission, that's not an episode that I have a tendency to come back to as great or even memorable TOS. And as for the latter, even though it's a season 3 episode, I feel it's one of the better episodes of that season due to guest star Michael Dunn who could be considered the Peter Dinklage of the 60s as he played Artemis Lovelace in the original Wild Wild West series. And among the numerous crimes that the abominable Wild Wild West film committed, doing done to obscurity was one of them. Seriously, Wild Wild West is still my standard barrier for the worst film that I have ever seen in my life. There is not a single redeeming quality to that film whatsoever. Not even the worst of the Star Trek films can compare to Wild Wild West. And speaking of Star Trek V, which I would put in the so bad it's good category, there was whatever the hell the big giant head was at the climax of that film, but let's not go there. Normally, I'd be giving some bits of trivia that I found out about the episode here, but the entry for this and the next episode I'm going to cover on Memory Alpha are pretty light. The only real noteworthy bit of trivia about the episode is that the writer Larry Brody was brought into pitch by DC Fontana, and while Gene loved the idea and the subsequent script Larry submitted, it was completely rewritten by Gene, which was not uncommon amongst the third-party Trek writers. So, in order to pad out the runtime for this episode... Once again, I'd like to put out a call for listeners. If you're interested in which episodes I'm going to cover and would like to contribute some comments about said episode, you can find me on both Facebook and Instagram. And my email address is reginarrodi at yahoo.com. You can also listen to some of my previous Star Trek-related episodes over at my other podcast, Ramblings of a Guy from Regina. I've done episodes on the original series, my 10 favorite moments from the Trek film franchise, series-long retrospectives on The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine, an episode dedicated to the music of the Trek franchise, and an episode I did earlier this year covering the first season of Star Trek Lower Decks. Those episodes are some of my favorites, and part of why I'm doing this podcast series is to not only get more in-depth on some of my favorite episodes and films that I had mentioned already, but to also talk about the other Trek series, past and present, that I haven't had the chance to talk about yet. Tomorrow, we have one more look at the animated series, with an episode that I feel takes the most advantage of Star Trek in the medium of animation, as well as a nod to one of Gene's influences on Star Trek. Live long and prosper, and also live well.